0: Good to be up here. I'm excited, uh, especially for um, this morning, because we're starting a new sermon series. Before I jump into that, one of the things I'm sure you got as uh, you were handed your program is this little booklet called Covenant Community. What we do here at the Mission Church is we typically take about a month or so worth of time to build up talking about membership, being a member here at the Mission Church And we're actually doing something we've never done before in the past um, for membership, and that is we are having a membership class. But it's going to be good, guys, okay? I promise. Um, I noticed that when I said we're going to have a membership class, none of you cheered or said, so let me say it one more time and let me give you an opportunity. This year we get to have a membership class. And here's what I promise you. There will be food there, and it will be good. Um, Because I need to be there. And that's kind of one of my things It's like, we got to have food and it's got to be good. And so um, my on the top of my list is Chipotle Um, is it's either Chipotle or Jersey Mike's one of the two. Um, So we're going to do a membership class. I promise you it won't be four hours. We're still defining how long it's going to be. Um, but we're not going to contain you. Um, there will be childcare there because I know that many of you have kids. Um, and, uh, and so we're going to have that. That's September 13th. And what this booklet is going to do for you is this is like um, the pre-membership class. This really gives you a a pretty thorough picture of what we believe here at the Mission Church, what it looks like to be a member here at the Mission Church. That way, when you go into a member meeting uh, or a new members meeting, um, you're not going in blindly. Um, if you have any questions about what it looks like to be a member before this, um, this meeting, uh, please come and ask me. I'd love to answer any of those questions. Um, and then the last thing worth noting is for those of you who, who uh, became a member last year, we're really, really asking, encouraging. Trying to do everything without telling you, but kind of telling you, please go to this September 13th um, meeting, even if you are a member, since it's the first time we're doing this. So, rah-rah membership, yeah! Yeah, I know, every year, every year I get an email, membership's not biblical, don't get me started. Okay, Acts chapter 1, some of you laugh, some of you are like, I'm sending the email, um, so Acts chapter 1, we are starting this new series on, on the book of Acts. It's really going to be a 30,000 foot level, um, going through kind of the major themes. The book of Acts is probably uh, one of my favorite books in the whole entire Bible. And, and the reason why is what the book of Acts is all about. And if you look at Acts 1.8, we're going to go there. We're going to see what the book of Acts is. Is all about, and, and before I go there, um, I'll, I'll start by sharing a very short story that hopefully will lead into this in a helpful way. Um, I'm sure this happens to all of us where someone says something to you. It might not even be aimed to you, but someone says something, and other people, many other people, might hear it, and it's very inconsequential to them. It doesn't really hit home for them, but for some reason, it hits your heart. And if you have those moments where someone said something and it just was like a knife through your heart, like, oh my goodness, I needed to hear that. So I had one of those moments about nine years ago. I was in... One of my college classes, I was a junior, uh, Christian history, um, or American Christian history was the class, and our professor was talking about Billy Graham, and he said this, he said, you know, um, it, it, it said about Billy Graham that from a very early age, he prayed over and over and over and over again, this simple prayer, God, will you please use me to change the world? And I heard that, and it was like a knife just went through my heart of like, oh my goodness, what, what would happen if I prayed that? And, and I get that this may sound very naive and something you would see like in a movie or even childish, but if you look at my prayer journals, I journal the majority of my prayers, if you look at each entry each day, you will find that prayer almost every single day for the past nine years. God, I know this is crazy, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm just young, and there's way more gifted, way more capable, way more spiritual, way more holy people in this world than me. But if it's your will, will you please use me to change the world for your glory? And I love the book of Acts. Because that's what the book is about. It's about this crazy statement that Jesus makes to the early disciples. And it was a statement that was just that. You go and change the world for my glory and your joy. Look at what He says specifically. Acts eight. Jesus says this, but you will receive... Power. We're going to come back to that. In fact, the whole sermon is on that. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. I got that underlined in my Bible. I hope you do too. If not, underline it. Now listen to this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here's what Jesus is saying to them. He's saying, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where they were at at that exact moment. Kind of like how you and I, we are in Renton at this very exact moment. He says, you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to tell um, the glories of the gospel, the salvation through Christ to everyone in Jerusalem. And then he doesn't stop there. He says, oh, by the way, in Judea too. Judea was a larger area in which Jerusalem was in. Kind of like how um, King County is the larger area in which Renton is in. And then he says, oh, by the way, also Samaria. Samaria. So that was further outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. It was an area, it was a city in which these people who were listening to Jesus, frankly, didn't like the Samaritans. I don't know if you have any area outside of here that you're just like, yeah, I'll pass. I won't go there. I just don't really like the people there. But you're Christians. You love everyone, right? Yes. A silence is agreement, right? And then he says this. And I'm not sure we feel the weight of it, but I hope we can at least get close. He says, and I also want you to do this to the end of the earth. He's literally saying to a group of about 120 people, I want you to go and tell the gospel to the whole entire known world. Whole entire known world. And what's crazier is if you read the book of Acts, it's the story of how this actually happens in about three decades. About 30 years, the gospel is spread, churches are planted throughout the whole entire known world. There's no cars, there's no planes, there's no trains, there's boats, but you probably don't want to get on one because it's going to take forever and you might die. There, there's no modern means of communication, so no cell phones, no text message. Oh my goodness, what would we do? No email, no television. So the only way the gospel is going to get to Rome, the only way the gospel is going to get to Spain, the only way the gospel is going to go into India and China is if someone just goes. Just like literally goes. It's not getting there unless a person physically Goes. And that's what Jesus is saying. You're all going to do this. And that's what the book of Acts is about. This actually happens. And you know why it happened? It happened for several reasons. But one of the biggest reasons was that we are going to find that the majority of people who got saved, the, more, the majority of people who became Christians, they took this verse personally. They read this and thought, that's not just for Peter. That's not just for John. That's not just for the apostles. I'm called to be on mission and literally change the world. And if you keep on reading, here's what you're going to find. At about Acts chapter 9, we don't even talk about these guys anymore. All of a sudden, it's these other guys that come to know Christ because of these first guys. The people who are spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth aren't necessarily these guys. It's a bunch of ordinary people like you and me who, who took Acts 1-8 really serious. And said, I am going to be on mission in my workplace, in my social circles, in my family, wherever I go, I am constantly on mission. I am constantly going to witness the gospel, not just in my lifestyle, but literally the words that come out of my mouth. But what we can't miss is the first part of this verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You. So so it's not as if Jesus is saying, go spread the gospel to the ends of the to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth, oh good luck, have fun. He says, I, I'm going to give you power through the Holy Spirit. Now if you back up a few verses, you hear this phrase that frankly is going to make some of you nervous. At least Years ago, it would make me nervous. Depending on what theological background you're in, if you come from a more charismatic background, you're going to be like, holy smokes, amen, finally, Zach. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But listen to what Jesus says. And I want us to notice it's in the Bible. I didn't say it. It's in the Bible. Jesus says this in verse 4. Just going back a few verses. And while staying with them, this is speaking of Jesus staying with the early Christians. um, This is talking about after he's risen from the dead, before he ascends into heaven. Jesus is staying with the disciples. And he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with water. With the Holy Spirit, not many days from now, and when he gets to Acts one eight, what he's talking about is the baptism of the Spirit. And so, what I want to look at this morning is what is the baptism of of the Holy Spirit. Like, j- just so I can see if people are rolling with me or, or completely not, how many of you grew up in, whenever someone used the word baptism of the Holy Spirit, you just kind of got nervous? Anyone? Okay, a few of you. The rest of you, awesome. This is not going to be weird at all. But for a lot of people, it's like, whoa, with the ba- like, whoa, baptism of the Spirit? Like, are we talking about speaking in tongues? Are we talking about, are we, is this going to get weird? Okay, I promise you we're just going to stick with what the Bible says, Okay. But what is the baptism of the Spirit? And and that's what I want us to look at is is what is the essence of the baptism of the Spirit? And here's what I want to come to is is Jesus says, you are going to be my witnesses, but you need this. Without this, you're useless. Without the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, good luck, you're not going to do well in this. You're not going to be effective in being on mission. And and I'm just going to be real with you. I think the American church just is in absolute, the mission church is in absolute desperate need. You are in desperate need of the baptism of the Spirit. If we want to do Acts 1 8. If, if you don't want to be on mission, if you don't want to go and proclaim the gospel, live the gospel, then you're, you're good. Like you're, you're good without the baptism of the Spirit. Because the baptism of the Spirit is for nothing other than Acts 1a proclamation. So let's start with this. What is the essence of the baptism of the Spirit? I want to look at Acts 2 as a case study. So Acts 2 is the very first... First place, first of many, that's helpful. It's not the only place. It's the first of several places where we see the baptism of the Spirit unfold. And so what I want us to look at is what happened in Acts 2. What happened the first time we see this baptism of the Spirit? And so I'm not going to unpack this passage. I'm just going to read it and make a few observations because we need to go deeper in other places. Acts 2 um, before I read this, I, I, just, I think it would be helpful to pray. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Father, um, may we take very serious what Your Word says here. And I know I and all of us come here with some preconceived notions about You and about who You are and, and about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. We just come with all these preconceived notions that we've been taught or we've heard, would you just shake those off and would, we, would you just give us um, the mind of Christ to look at your word and be honest with what your word says and that you would pour out your spirit upon us for Christ's exalting ministry. Speak through me in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, so Pentecost was a feast. It was a Jewish celebration there in Jerusalem. It's Pentecost, which meant that all these Jews that lived outside of Jerusalem were coming into Jerusalem for this celebration. And so it's this picture that Jerusalem is packed with a bunch of travelers that are from way different parts of different nations. And we're going to see that. That's important for us to know. It says, they all gathered together in one place That's speaking of the church, there was 120 of them, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like, notice, like a mighty rushing wind. So it wasn't a mighty rushing wind. It was just like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of, so check it, as of fire. So it's not like literal fire and literal wind. Luke, who is our author of Acts, he's describing this and going, okay, like, it wasn't this, but it was like this. It was like the sound of this rushing wind. It was as of fire of tongues. To be honest, it's really not a helpful picture. I get confused. What, 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 is that, what does that mean? And it said, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So pause there. Underline that phrase. Filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going I'm to make things a little more comfortable for some of you people who don't like that phrase. Baptism of the Spirit. You like the phrase filled with the Spirit a little bit more? That's just, just that sits a little bit easier. When you read the book of Luke, or excuse me, the book of Acts written by Luke, he's going to use this phrase filled with the Spirit several times. I believe it's about five times. Each time he's speaking about the baptism of the Spirit. They're the same thing. See, we take this word baptize in the English language and we spiritualize it. You go use the word baptize anywhere, even at the grocery store or or at Starbucks, and people are going to know that's a religious word. That was not a religious word in the Greek. Baptize literally means to submerge underwater. So let me paint a picture for you. Imagine I have a cup. I don't, but imagine... If I baptize it, if I submerge it underwater and I bring it up, what just happened inside the cup? got filled up. So, so that's, that's the picture here. That's what Luke is talking about. So when he says they were filled with the Spirit, he's talking about they, they are baptized with the Spirit. So when you read through the book of Acts, because I know you're going to go home and read it like crazy... You'll see this phrase over and over again. They were filled. They were filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were baptized. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So they are filled with the Holy Spirit. There baptized with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden they're speaking in these different languages 1 Corinthians 12 talks about um, speaking in tongues, it's not speaking about the same kind of tongues of what's going on here this is actually talking about them speaking a different language like if I started speaking fluently in Spanish you would know that I am baptized by the Holy Spirit because I don't know Spanish that's literally what was going on so you have this big Jewish celebration that's going on at the heart of, of Jerusalem. You've got all of these people who are from way different nations in which their first language is something that the early church didn't speak because they weren't from that nation. And all of a sudden they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're all speaking the languages of these different people. What are they saying in this different language? This is huge. It says in verse 11, both Jews and proselytes... So it makes this list. I skipped over it for the sake of time. But it makes this list of several different nations in which their language is being spoken. It says in both Jews and proselytes, um, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So notice... They're not just speaking in different languages about random stuff. What are they speaking about? God. The mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another the exact same thing we're probably saying as we read this. What does this mean? This is crazy. They're all speaking languages they don't even know. But I understand it, and it's all about the greatness of God. So they're going, what what, what does this mean? This is crazy. So Peter steps up and says, hey, here's what happened. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In other words, Peter's going, hey, this was prophesied about. Joel prophesied about this long ago in the Old Testament, and he quotes this prophecy, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Says so that, says, that's what's going on. Joel chapter 2 it's happening. And then Peter doesn't miss this opportunity to start preaching the gospel. And so we look at verse 32. This Jesus, this is Peter speaking to this crowd. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. See, he's, he's witnessing. Acts 1.8 is going on here. He's in Jerusalem and he's proclaiming Jesus. We should try it. It's really good being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing and if you keep reading it says that several people are cut to the heart and they say what shall we do? This is incredible. And you're talking about this Jesus that died on the cross and that we can have salvation. Like, okay, well, this is amazing. What do we do? And Peter says, hey, just repent and be baptized and and you'll be saved. And we see 3,000 people get saved. First picture of the baptism of the Spirit. And there's several more that we could go through. But for the sake of time, I want to wrestle with this question. What is the essence of the baptism of the Spirit? Like, what's at the heart of it? Is the essence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit simply that you just speak in tongues? And if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Like, like, is, is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is the essence of it just exactly what we see in Acts 2? And if it's not those exact things, then it's not. Or, or is there an essence, a, a heart to this that happens in Acts 2, and then it happens in Acts 3, and then it happens in Acts 4, and then it happens in Acts 5, and then it happens in Acts 7, and then it happens in Acts 8, and then it happens in Acts 9, and it happens in, in 11, and in 13, it happens in all these different places that I just named. Is there an essence to it? And so I want to draw out to you what I, I believe the, the essence of it is according to Scripture. Again. This has got to be our guy, not me. Let me start off by saying what is not. And the reason why I think this is important, or at least it's important to me, is because what I'm going to point to Scripture and say what it's not is something that I taught it was. I just grew up... And, and I was taught, no, 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 this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. And I'm going to distance myself from that for two significant reasons. One, I think the Bible just very plainly says, this is not it. And I think you're going to agree with me because it's so plain. And the other is, is this. I know how like, you have like, mentors in your life. If you, you, you have just some people who know the word of God better than anyone. So I have a mentor. I've never met him. He's never met me, but I still call him my mentor. So my favorite pastor, preacher, theologian is a guy by the name of John Piper. And, and it's helpful that I say that because John Piper is like, you know, how far conservative you can get theologically? He just went past you. So he is one of those guys that he actually wrote a whole entire paper in, on 1982 um, about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. And then over the years spent some time looking at scripture and realized, okay, this, I no, I don't, I don't think it is. And so he was a lot of help to me in studying about this. And so um, not that if I have John Piper on my side, I'm always right. But I'm pretty close. Um, here's what it's not, biblically. Now, you, you, you guys be the judge from here on out. Um, it's not receiving the Holy Spirit in conversion. So this is what I was taught growing up, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is just another way of saying that you receive the Holy Spirit when you became a Christian. So this is very biblical. We need to understand this. It is a very biblical thing. In fact, it's a very important thing. This reality that every single person who trusts in Christ as their Savior, it says, Ephesians 1.14, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You are given the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 8 says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. So it's a big deal. So we need to understand that, that when we come to know Christ as believers, we have the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to see is that there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit as a believer and actually being filled, being baptized in the Spirit. So John 20, I think, is very helpful in this. Look at John 20. Jesus has just risen from the dead. And he's visiting his disciples. Now, question for you. What happens in John 20? Does it happen before or after what we read in Acts 1? Before or after? Before. I'm not trying to trick you guys. Before. It happens before. And remember, in Acts 1, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You, you will. It hasn't happened yet. You will. Will So that's Acts eight. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John 20 that came before this. John 20 verse 21. Jesus said to them again. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me. Even so I am sending you. And when he had said this. He breathed on them and said to them. Receive the Holy Spirit. And so. I can't help but, but gravitate to this reality that, as a believer, you can have the Holy Spirit without ever experiencing a, a filling or a baptism of the Spirit. And, and I believe that because this text just very clearly says the disciples, they already had the Holy Spirit, and yet Jesus says you're going to be baptized with it. And so what is the essence? Let's talk about this. What is the essence of the baptism of the Spirit? Now, um, I did not come up with this definition on my own because I thought this was uh, the most helpful definition. And it's uh, a definition John Piper uses. And he says this. um, The essence of the baptism of the Spirit is when a believer receives extraordinary... Spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministries. That's that's the baptism of the Spirit. That's what happens. A believer receives extraordinary spiritual power for Christ-exalting ministries. So I want to single out a few different words slash phrases in there. The first one is, is, is power. Where do we get that? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And if you keep reading, you will find this phrase phrases used where they receive power. Acts uh, 6, maybe it's 7, where it says that Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit, and then it says filled with grace and power. Luke chapter 24, Jesus says, stay here in Jerusalem. I'm going to clothe you with power speaking of the Holy Spirit and so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is this it's this unique you can call it unique you can call it special you can call it whatever you want but it is this 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 distinct power that is beyond you and beyond me and can only be explained by God and it brings extraordinary results is, is, is another key thing that we see. It, it, it has an extraordinary aspect to it that people, when it, when it is lived out in someone's life, people will look at you and go, whoa. So when you look at Acts 2, it says they were perplexed and they were amazed when 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 the people saw them speaking in different languages. Acts 5, it, it talks about how they stood back in a, in a kind of fear and a kind of awe of what was going on in the church. Like, wow, that, that, that's clearly got a, a, a divine authority over it. And so it produces these kind of extraordinary results that makes you go, okay, clearly that ain't him. Clearly, that's not her. And then here's this is this is the most important part. It is for Christ exalting ministers. There's this unique um, passage in Acts, I believe it's Acts eight, where uh, you get this guy named Simon who's a magician killing it with parlor tricks and and just doing all these great things and he ends up getting saved and the apostle peter shows up and and when peter shows up he starts praying over these people and and they they're literally it says they're baptized in the spirit and 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 it says that simon this magician who got saved is like literally says i want that power In fact, he pulls out his wallet and gives some money to Peter and says, I want that. I'll buy it. And Peter says, whoa, say no parlor trick. The Holy Spirit is not given to you so you can, you know, show off. Look what I can do. It's given for Christ's exalting ministry. And so. When you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see this over and over again. They're filled. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit, and many people got saved. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, went in to the city and proclaimed the gospel, and everyone was blown away by his understanding of the scriptures. Um, Peter is full of the Holy Spirit, and he spoke in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they're all blown away that this man has such understanding. And you're going to see over and over and over again a display of this power that is beyond them, but it is always, always, always exalting Christ. It's always exalting the gospel. It is always for the purpose that outsiders would see Jesus and desire Jesus. And I want to close by getting applicational here. I get that this may be Brought up more questions than gave answers to, um, but I hope that we're at least looking at Scripture and going, "Okay, this is." Just read the book of Acts with some fresh eyes, and you're just going to go, "Whoa! Why? Why does? Why does my church not look like this?" That's a that's a good good thing when you read Scripture and go, "Why isn't my life like this?" Just don't stop there. Try and, try and figure out how your, your life can be more molded to that. That's why we're going through the book of Acts. Because I don't, I don't want the mission churches to do church the way everyone else is doing church. I want us to look at the book of Acts and go, okay, something's going on here. They spread the gospel to the whole entire known world in 30 years. It would be pretty sweet if the mission church could get behind that kind of gospel spread. Amen? I want that. I long for my neighbors to come to know Christ. I long for us to plant churches in places that no one has stepped foot to proclaim the gospel in. And we see that happening here. So I just want to close by by answering asking this question, how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, let's give two two real quick things. Um, the first one is kind of this disclaimer. The first thing is this we need to understand that, that it is Christ who gives the, this baptism, this anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's not as if, oh, okay, if I do this and that and that thing over there, by two o'clock tomorrow I should experience this. It, it's not that way at all. That that Christ gives it as, as seen fit. Um, but here are the two things that I think we can practically walk in faithfully and and then Christ will do as, as He seems fit. The first thing is this. Pray continually, pray fervently for this. There is no shame in going, I want you, Jesus, to baptize me, to fill me with your spirit for Christ's exalting ministry. I beg of you. And we see that in Acts 1 where the Christians just get together and pray and pray and pray. And then Acts 2, baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. We see it in Acts 4. The church comes together and prays and prays and prays and prays. And and the Holy Spirit comes, fills them. And then they go and preach the gospel and a bunch of people get saved. And then we see it in Luke chapter 11 where Jesus talks about praying and praying for the Holy Spirit. So just pray. Pray every day for this. And then here's, here's a huge one. Boldly be on mission for Christ-exalting ministries. You're going to see this word bold, boldness, boldly throughout the book of Acts in several different places. And it talks about believers stepping outside, way outside of their comfort zones for Christ-exalting ministries. And the Holy Spirit just is poured out upon them and and they begin doing Christ-exalting ministry. And and so listen, we need to understand that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for Christ-exalting ministry. If you're not doing Christ-exalting ministry, you have no need for, for the Holy Spirit to fill you up. You have no need. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Paraclete in the Greek. Paraclete literally means counselor or comforter, John chapter 16. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter, the counselor. And, and here's the reality if we are comfortable, you don't need the comforter. So if we're not doing, we're not walking in Christ exalting ministry, you don't need the Holy Spirit. And so, what you find in the book of Acts is you find these Christians like taking leaps outside of their comfort zones, outside of their abilities, and stepping into Christ exalting ministries, Christ exalting proclamation. The Holy Spirit fills them up, and they see a kind of just immeasurable result of God working. And I think it is an honest disclaimer to point out that it costs them their lives at points What happens to Peter? Crucified upside down. What happens to Stephen? Stoned to death. What happens to James? Killed. What happens to Timothy? Killed. What happens to all of the disciples? Dead 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 except John. He is has to suffer on an island. And then he dies. And so when you read the book of Acts, you find that they step way out. The Holy Spirit pours out upon them. They do this Christ-exalting ministry. People get saved, and then they get beaten, thrown in prison, or killed. And so I'm not trying to sell anything here. I'm not saying, if you, if you get this, oh, life is going to be so easy. It's going to wreck your life. It's going to cost you maybe everything. Maybe everything. And I think the biggest reason, the biggest reason why so many Christians never, ever, ever experience the baptism of the Spirit in their life is because they never, ever step outside of their comfort zone for Christ-exalting ministry. Like, they'll do Christ-exalting ministry. They'll tell you about Jesus, but you've got you to gotta bring up Jesus first, and then I'll talk. Like, I'll do Christ-exalting ministry just so long as it's to the measure of my comfort and my, um, my social circle and my calendar and these other priorities i got. I'll, I'll do it, but, but I've you know, I got I to stay here. But that's not what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for. It's not for you to be comfortable. It's, it's for you to step so far outside of yourself that you, you literally have no choice but the Holy Spirit to show up. And I'll tell you, for me, the moments in which it's been clear that the Holy Spirit has poured himself out upon me are the moments in which like, I'm like, Jesus, I've like, got to go preach and I have no idea what to say. I've also had that go really badly, too. But I can remember last year, I was speaking at this camp. God gave me just this heavy heart for these kids. And I remember just looking at my Bible and tears streaming down my face because I didn't know what to preach. And I got up there, and I just felt like God was saying, Revelation 2. And I I just said, okay, And I preached. The Holy Spirit just absolutely tore up some hearts. And I got in my car after seeing so many different kids just giving their lives over back to God. And I just left going, I should do this every time. That was incredible. But it's costly. And so I want to invite you to step so far outside of your comfort zone for Christ-exalting ministry. I just want you to take that leap and step so far out there saying, I, Jesus, you have to pour out your Spirit on me because I stand no chance that you, would, that, you would, that you would take that risk and see what Christ does. And I, and I listen... There are certain things that I know God is putting on your heart and you are pushing back because you don't feel ready. I'm not ready to be a community group leader. I'm, I'm not ready to be a foster parent. I'm not ready to go on a mission trip. I'm not ready to go talk to my, 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 my friends about Christ. I'm not, I'm not, and you just feel these. I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. You never will. And I'm begging you just to absolutely launch yourself out for Christ-exalting ministry And wait and see the Holy Spirit do a work in you. Let's pray. You are good, Father. You're so good to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And there's so many aspects about the Spirit that we do not fully understand or comprehend. But what we did read this morning is that the Spirit is real that you desire to give it for Christ-exalting ministry. And I pray that you would do that this morning. And and Father, um, I pray that our first step would maybe just be asking, God, what is that Christ-exalting ministry that might be unique to me? What is that Christ-exalting ministry that you're calling me to, but I'm scared to do it? And that we'd start by just praying that prayer and then be bold and just jumping out and doing that crazy thing that will magnify your name and will, be a, will lead to a desperation for you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.